Today's Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and you can find it on page 1165 of the Bibles. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. We are not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we had not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that, as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand, so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. For we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word of the Lord. Well, some of you probably don't realise that I follow baseball. I uh, have an interest in it. I know a lot of people in Australia have, couldn't care less about baseball. And so you probably don't even realise that at the moment, uh, in October, there's always this thing called the World Series. So two teams play off each other for seven games, and the winner of those seven games become the world champions. So you might be right in thinking that they're the world champions, that therefore teams from Australia have participated, teams from all over the world have participated. No, it's just teams from America who compete against themselves and compare themselves to themselves, uh, and they become the world champions. It's so interesting that whenever we uh, narrow a group down to a defined set of people and we compare ourselves to ourselves within that small group, how easy it is to come out on top. You just exclude all the people that you might be competitive with and it makes yourself look better. And so, whilst you mightn't understand about world champions 
of baseball, you can understand how bizarre it is to create a small group of people and then define oneself by that small group of people. If we create a bubble, it's easy within that bubble to exclude anyone that might make us look bad. And so Paul, in this passage, is really presenting us with what I might call the comparison trap. Paul is presenting to us something that is part of our human condition, something that we all know now as much as Paul knew back in the day where he was writing to the church in Corinth. It seems comparison is such a dangerous thing because we, in our condition, we constantly compare ourselves to others. And what we sometimes do is we we look down, we say, let's find people who we think we're better than because that'll make ourselves feel better. Another way of doing it is that we are under the weight of comparison because we look up and we see people who are doing so much better than us and therefore we feel under the weight of that. Instagram, social media are a comparison trap that we can never seem to win. We're always seeing photos of somebody's holiday and thinking, wow, I wish we could have holidays like that. Or we kind of wonder what other people are wearing and we think, oh, geez, I wonder if I could be able to wear that. Or where other people are going out or where they're eating. And the reality of why social media is such a bad uh, influence in our society today is because what we do is we look at our day-to-day grind, don't we? We kind of see that, you know, actually probably, uh, you know, 99 times out of 100 we're possibly just at home eating, you know, cheese on toast or something for dinner and we go out once for dinner, but we kind of see somebody every night going out for dinner and we kind of think, oh, everybody else is leading this great life, why aren't I leading that great life? But we're comparing our grunt reel, what we do day in, day out, with everybody else's highlights reel. And we're looking at everybody else's highlights and comparing ourselves to their highlights rather than what the reality of our life is. I heard some disturbing research that uh, you're probably hearing that uh, depression and anxiety is going up in our next generation through. But what they've also looked at is they've noticed that those who have a higher rate of depression have a higher rate of engagement with social media. And what the next step of the research is, is which is causing the other. Do people with depression want to have a better life and therefore they go to social media to, to live vicariously through other people? Or is the comparison trap of social media causing people to be more depressed in their life? And that's the next stage of research that they're trying to do in Australia. And I think it's a great reminder of the danger that the comparison trap can be and perhaps why we're actually so... Uh, interested in that in our world today, but also for Paul in his day, it was such an important topic because status meant a lot in Corinth. Status means a lot in Melbourne. Uh, Wealth meant a lot in Corinth and wealth means a lot in Australia today. Some people had better connections than others and all of this led to a comparison trap. But what Paul is saying in this passage is, let's not compare to the standards of the world. Paul is talking to 
the Corinthians where status mattered. Remember that Paul is writing to a church where most of them had some connection with the Roman military. They were either retired uh, Roman officials or retired uh, Roman uh, soldiers. So they were, it was like a place where all those who had been involved in the Roman Empire came to settle. And so nobody was a local, everybody had some connection. And they were all talking about what it meant to have connections. Remember also that the status of Corinth was to be able to have money to go to the temple and pay for prostitutes. So Paul is saying, don't compare yourself to the status of the world around you, because in some ways that would mean having money to pay for prostitutes in the temple. And Paul is saying, that's not a comparison that we want to have. Again, it meant something to be connected to influential Roman leaders, but that was a very fickle and transient uh, thing to be connected to. It's great if you're connected with a leader who was in with Caesar, but if that leader got, fell out of uh, favour with Caesar, you definitely didn't want to be connected to that. So that worldly status, this worldly way of getting status and influence was very fickle, very transient, and you didn't want to fall out with the people who were losing favour or who were gaining favour. And so into this environment... Christians are aligning themselves to Christ, but they're being tempted and drawn into the worldly status symbols of Corinth. They're looking at how other people are getting status in Corinth, and they're being drawn into that. And Paul is warning them not to be drawn into it. So we see in uh, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul is saying, so then, when you come together, to, he's talking about correcting their behaviour around the Lord's Supper. So they're meant to be coming to the Lord's Supper and they're meant to be sharing a common cup, sharing a common loaf, but what do they do in Corinth? Those who are rich and wealthy say, well, we, we, we don't like the ordinary wine that they're serving in the common cup, so we'll bring our own special wine. And, and we don't just want a, a, a loaf of bread, but we want a bit of grapes with it, and we want some, a bit more, something else to eat, but we won't, we won't have enough to share with everybody, we'll just keep it for ourselves, so when it comes time to eating the Lord's Supper and, and drinking at the Lord's Supper, we'll have our own special lot that we'll bring in. And Paul is saying, what you're doing is you're bringing the worldly status into the church, and he's saying, not only do we not want to be using the worldly symbols of status, but we definitely don't want it to be influential to the church. We don't want to be bringing in worldly status symbols into the church and somehow people comparing themselves to themselves within the church in a way that would alienate other people. This might seem like a, a silly example, but I remember going to a church, visiting a church with somebody, and, and this was in the days where after church, it was lucky if you got a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and, and if, you, if you did get a cup of coffee, it was sort of international roast. So, you know, clearly, uh, if you got something more than international roast, it was, it was good. And I went to this church, and they had a coffee machine, and I was like, my gosh, this church has got a coffee machine. And so, I said to my friend, oh, do you want to go get a coffee? And he kind of looked at the barista, and he goes, nah, you don't want to get a coffee from that barista, they're not as good as some of the others. I was kind of like, this is a coffee machine, this is better than international. But what he was doing was, he was actually bringing worldly status of judging somebody by the standard of their coffee 
He was bringing worldly status into the church space instead of just being happy that he was getting something better than international roads. And Paul, it might seem like a silly example, but rather than sort of pointing out all the ways that we bring worldly status into the church, I just want us, before we move on to the next part, to be aware of the fact that Corinth was bringing worldly status into the church and we're tempted to bring elements of worldly status symbols into the church. The church should be the community where everybody belongs, where everybody is welcome, where everybody connects with everybody. And, and later on in our notices, I'm going to be talking about our membership and I'm going to be talking about the invitation to be a financial partner and I'm going to be talking about the invitation to be on the electoral roll. But I'll, I'll preface all of that with this, what Paul is saying here. I, I don't want us to be a church that's saying, you're in, you're out, excluding people, excluding these people or these people in the right faction so they can be in. We want to be a church, like Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, where everybody belongs, everybody is welcome and everybody can connect. And so, uh, Paul is also reminding us of this comparison trap that even Paul, the great missionary, the great founder of churches right across the, the, the Roman Empire, the writer of so many parts of Scripture. In verse 10, Paul says, I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters, for some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and speaking, his speaking amounts to nothing. Isn't it amazing that the great, uh, the great uh, figure that we have in the early church, even he was compared to other people. Even he was suffering under the weight of the comparison trap. Now, Paul liked to write letters and we have his letters and we know how great his letters are. So, we can kind of understand the first part of this, that, we, that his letters are weighty and forceful because they're in our Scripture, they're in our Bible. We can understand that part. But, but Paul's sermon videos aren't on YouTube for reporters to find, so we don't know what Paul was like as a preacher. Paul might be happy that his sermons aren't on YouTube for people to look at. Paul was a great evangelist. He went to Gentile towns, talked about Jesus, and people came to faith in Jesus. He talked to people who were not Christians and they converted to Christianity. Paul started churches right across the Roman Empire and saw many people give their life to Christ. So, does it really matter that in some of his sermons he was unimpressive. In some of his preaching he was unimpressive. Does it really matter that his, some of his talking was a little boring compared to his letters? You see, the comparison trap, it actually finds someone who's better than the person you're comparing them to and compares up the scale and then puts all the weight and pressure of that on the person that you're comparing. And so, Paul is obviously not saying he is the best preacher in all of Christendom. He knows there are better preachers than him, but they were putting the weight of this comparison on Paul. I remember a contemporary example, I remember hearing a famous pastor called Craig Rochelle, and uh, Craig Rochelle at the moment, uh, I think there's 40 uh, campuses in his church in Oklahoma and around the South in America, and by any standards of uh, contemporary Christianity, he would be a figure that people would look up to and he's the patron of the Global Leadership Summit and speaks there every year, a great speaker. 
But he confessed that when he was young and when he was learning, he was just copying everybody else. He was even copying their tone, copying the manner of preachers that he thought were great preachers. And he was comparing himself to the great preachers in his mind, rather than doing what God wanted him to do. And so when he stopped comparing himself to the great preachers and started preaching the Word of God to the people in his congregation, his churches started to grow and his influence started to grow and now people are turning to him. And his encouragement to young preachers is don't compare yourself to him either, like he did when he was young. We might compare ourselves to others and think that we look second rate, but God doesn't compare us to others. God compares us to what he has called us to be. God compares us to who he created us to. And Paul is saying that we need to not compare ourselves to ourselves or to those who are better than us or to those who we think we are better, but compare ourselves to who God created us to be. Now, I know in kids' ministry, we always say that the solution is Jesus. But here is one example where Paul is saying that the answer is Jesus. What's the antidote to the comparison trap? What's the antidote to uh, this idea of comparison? The answer is that Jesus is our model. In 2 Corinthians 10 verses 17 to 18, he says, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. When we compare ourselves to Jesus, we actually have a much more simplistic way of seeing how we are compared to everybody else, because everybody falls short of the glory of God, but through the Christ, uh, through the, the story of Jesus and the grace available to, through Jesus, we have a model that doesn't look on how much better we are than everybody else, but we look at how grace has taken us so far. And so again, we don't even look to where we have to go yet, but we look at how grace is at work in our life. But the other reason that Jesus is a great solution to the comparison trap is because Jesus is unchangeable. Jesus doesn't change, He's not fickle, He's not aligned to certain characters that fall out of favour. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and tomorrow. Jesus is the same Son of God that was at creation, that died on the cross for us, rose to new life and will welcome us into eternal life through faith in Him. When we become more like Jesus, we stop comparing ourselves to the people that we think are better, or we stop being under the weight of the comparison trap that we think people are better than us, and we start to see how Jesus created us, loved us, gave us the grace to be in right relationship with the Father, and gifted us through the Holy Spirit with a purpose that was created for us. Now, I always get in trouble when I talk about a Pope in a Protestant church, but I think this is a great example of what Paul is talking about. When uh, Pope Francis was elected Pope, uh, it was an unusual occurrence because there'd never been a sitting Pope resign. That always died. And so when Pope Francis came in, he's the first Pope in history to have a sitting Pope still alive. And so the comparison trap was really obvious. Everyone wanted to know, how did Pope Francis compare to Pope Benedict? But also, the media seemed to want to have all these gotcha questions like they do to Pope Francis, um, and he wanted to make himself available. The conservatives, they wanted to compare 
uh, Pope Francis to every other Pope in history, every other saint in history. The progressives wanted to compare Pope Francis and so Pope Francis, from the very day that he was uh, announced as Pope, was under this immense weight and pressure of the comparison trap. So how did Pope Francis deal with all the fights, the arguments, the comparisons that he was brought into. He started talking about Jesus. He started talking about how we need to follow Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And he used this image of saying, we need to be so close to the Good Shepherd, Jesus, as one of his followers, that the dust off his sandals would rub off on us. And to the priests who had, who had uh, been involved in uh, comparison and, and within these factions of progressive and, and conservative, he said to all the priests of the world that you need to be so close to the sheep that you're leading that you start to smell like the sheep. And so when Pope Francis was under the weight of the comparison trap, he stopped getting drawn into all the comparison fights, arguments and, and debates and started pointing people to Jesus. And I think that's what Paul always did. I can imagine Paul would be in a lot of arguments, Paul would have been in a lot of difficult situations, he lists some of them in his letters where he's thrown out of town or he's beaten or he's done a whole lot of things but Paul kept talking about Jesus, Paul kept talking about how we follow Jesus and when we become like Jesus it's something that transforms us and frees us from the comparison trap. In many ways I think that's what I want for St Columns. I want us to be a church that talks about Jesus. I want us to be a church that points people to Jesus. And we can see in recent weeks, there's been a whole lot of arguments in the media over the last two weeks, and I'm not going to say anything political about it, so don't worry. But I've thought hard about how do I respond. I've thought long and hard because there were lots of pastors last weekend, and I'm not being critical of them, where uh, you know, they use their pulpits as an opportunity to make an engaged in, engagement in the debate about the place of Christians in leadership. And I thought, do I want my opinion about this hot topic on Facebook or Instagram? And I've decided not to make any comment about it on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not really even engaging in it here as a, as a way of making a comment, just to say there'd be people who are Christian leaders who would think that that's cowardly for me not to engage. There are Christians who want to take the fight to the, the media, so to speak. And I'm just saying, I don't think that's to do. I'm not saying that we uh, capitulate to all things and we don't stand our ground. But I've thought a lot about what do I want to be known? What do I want some columns to be? And I want us to be known for pointing people to Jesus. You see, I think the reason that Paul would ask us to maybe refrain from taking the fight to the media is because the secular media and the secular world are extremely fickle about what's an important, life-changing, world-impacting topic and I can guarantee you the debates of two weeks ago won't even be on the radar in a few weeks' time. That's how fickle things are. So we would be constantly on the back foot if we're responding to whatever the secular world thinks is an important topic of the day. Whereas if we're on the front foot, pointing people to Jesus, leading people to a life-giving relationship with Jesus, we're never responding to whatever the secular world is fickle about. Paul writes to the Corinthians to remind them not to compare themselves to those that they think they're better than. And I think that's an encouragement to us, not for us to think, 
that somehow we're better in these debates that are happening in our secular society. Paul encourages the church in Corinth and I think he's encouraging us to focus on Jesus, to focus on what God's grace has done in our life and can do in the lives of those around us. And Paul finishes with this hope. Our hope is that your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you with greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in regions beyond you. You see, I think my hope for St. Columns is, is this, that, that as our faith grows, as our faith deepens, as our understanding of the presence of God at work in our lives, then that will start to impact those around us in our sphere of influence. And when it starts to impact the people in our sphere of influence, imagine how many people that is. We don't just then impact the people in the room today or watching online, but we start to impact all those people that we start to interact with in our sphere of influence. And the gospel, the good news, that we don't have to compare ourselves to ourselves, but through God's grace, we have a relationship with our Father in heaven, that starts to be the benchmark. That, rather than the hot-button topic that we might have an opinion on, starts to become what we're not. And I think it actually starts to create the church where everybody's well, everybody's growing in their relationship and everybody understands that through grace we're all saved and we're all sinners but we're all saved through grace. So I encourage us to hold this as our hope that we would see more people come to know Jesus, that we would see more people understand the scriptures when they read it, that we'd see more people find community here and that through what we do here that might impact our sphere of influence and we'd see more people come to know Jesus. So let me pray for us. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for the gift of this teaching. We thank you for the example of St. Paul and how he encouraged us to model ourselves on you rather than compare ourselves to ourselves. But we do have a hope that as our faith continues to grow that we would see more people in our sphere of activity come to know you and that we would see the gospel preached in our region and beyond. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.